May the deep peace, the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We've gathered here this morning to celebrate and to thank God for the good and faithful life of Marcus Smucker and to place ourselves in the presence of the God whose love knows no end in time or in eternity. We welcome all of you on this day that followers of Jesus around the world celebrate as All Saints Day. This wasn't planned, but we thank God for the wonderful coincidence, and we feel that it is most fitting. Whether you have come here today from paradise, or from burden hand, or from further away in Maryland, Massachusetts, Indiana, Washington, or California, the Smookers are deeply grateful for your presence here with them this morning. And they thank you. As pastor of East Chestnut Mennonite Street, or There are Mennonite streets here. <laughs> well, that church has been <laughs> Marcus and Dottie's home congregation these past 12 years. And on behalf of our congregation, we want to thank Mellinger Mennonite Church for their gracious hospitality here today. Let us pray together. O God of grace and of glory, we give you thanks for our dear brother Marcus. We thank you for the years that we shared together in our pilgrimage here on this earth and for the way that his life came full circle, beginning and ending here in this community. Dear God, Marcus's death has come as a great shock to us all. And so we ask your Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to console us in our grief and in our loss. Give us the faith to see that all of death has been swallowed up in the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may look forward to that day when we are gathered to our heavenly home in our final reunion with you and in the company of all your saints. As we fix our eyes on eternity here this morning, may each of us leave here today with our faith and our hope and our love renewed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Marcus loved to sing. And recently when his voice gave out, 
he stopped singing and started swaying. (laughs) So you're invited to do one or the other or both as the Spirit leads you as we sing number 167, For God So Loved Us. On verse 2, let's have the sopranos and the tenors sing until we get to the chorus, and then we'll have everybody join. And on verse 3, let's have the men, and then get everybody on the chorus. first two remembrances will be shared by Marcus's brother John and then his longtime friend and colleague Marlene Krupp. I thought he was going to do this for me not me for him, because of our age. But I'm honored to honor my brother, whom I admired so much. He was a wonderful brother to me. In order that I don't go over the time, I'll just, I'm not used to reading when I talk, but I will. He was a loving, kind, fair, intense, and never reluctant to confront any situation. (laughs) That's the honest truth. Whatever he did, he did with all his might. He became very effective in his relationships and profession, partly because he worked so hard on his own life to improve and to heal. He practiced what he preached, and he counseled others to do the same. Now, Marcus was a middle child. There were seven of us, and and he was right in the middle. And that's both a blessing and whatever else you want to call it. (laughs) As such, he struggled to make his own way in his family system. But he did it anyway. He accomplished much 
because he faced himself first, penetrated his own background, and got to know who he was in himself and in Christ, and then urged others in his profession. Now, Marcus bridged the gap between the psychological sciences and biblical revelation and his evangelical faith. As a foundation of his expertise in pastoral training, counseling, psychotherapy, mentoring, and conflict resolution, he gave himself tirelessly to people. He loved to get in the midst of conflict and help, and he did. God bless him. He loved the church and tirelessly led church leaders in spiritual direction. He had great insight into the truth of every situation and called others to embrace it and follow it. He was a great professor to seminary students, very popular, and much sought after as a seminar teacher. Marcus was true. He was a true and loyal family member. He loved his children and his grandchildren with a passion. He spent as much time as possible with his two grandchildren, Olivia and Julian. He loved and served <laughs> and ministered to his siblings and extended family as well as whenever they asked for it, whenever they permitted him to. <laughs> he was always there, never shrinking away from family conflict, and that's a, we had a lot of it. Marcus had a refreshing sense of humor. The night before he passed away, he greeted his dear friends, Glenn and Annabelle, as he came to visit them in the general hospital. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> Just like him. In the last two years, whenever he got another cardiac or long episode, we would joke with each other. Now, Marcus, I'm older than you. You cannot go before me. And we'd chuckle and go on. Marcus and I were close in many ways, most always decent, but, but, but very competitive. When we were about five and seven years old, there's a picture, and I couldn't find it. Um, we have it somewhere. A photograph in the old Burden Hand farm of Marcus and I. We looked like twins. We were the same height at that time, and shaking our fists at each other. That's how we lived life. We really did. We were the same height and were often taken for twins. Whenever our conversation got too hot, we had to apologize to each other to keep the peace. We did, and he always forgave. He was very gracious. In the last six years since I came home from New York City to, um, I don't know what, to retire, um, he lived only 10 miles away, and we renewed our brotherly relationship with each other. I am so very grateful. But I didn't know it was going to come to such an end it's so fast. But one of the greatest things of Marcus's contribution, both to his family and to the church, was his deep relationship with the Lord. He loved the Lord with all his heart, his soul, and his mind and his neighbor as himself. He truly tried to live that. He regularly went on personal retreats to be all alone with God and listen and get closer to him. He's a great example 
of following Christ in life and then living it daily no matter what happens around you. For me to live is Christ. That's as a motto I think he lived by. But now he can experience the rest of that verse which says to die is gain. He didn't want to die, and not that he wasn't ready, but he loved life and he loved to help people. He will be greatly missed by his family, his church that he loves so much. Praise God for his life and ministry. Today we buried one of God's saints. If a saint is someone in whom we see the light of Christ shining, then a bright and blazing comet has just left our horizon. We will miss him. Fifty years ago this fall, Stanley and I met Marcus and Dottie when we moved to Portland, Oregon as newlyweds. Marcus was fresh out of seminary in New York City. What still impresses me is that he was willing to move west and leave the Amish family farm behind. In the Pacific Northwest, he found a second home, and he returned often to drink in the beauty and the bracing air of the West. Yet Marcus brought both his New York City experiences and his Amish roots to the city. In his passion for urban ministry and for thriving Christian community, the congregation he pastored, Portland Mennonite Church, grew from a mission church to an established congregation during his tenure and more than doubled in size. With persistent effort and not a little charisma and a lot of prayer, Marcus was able to weave together a disparate group of folk from all over the country into a vibrant faith community. And to this day, Portland Mennonite Church bears his imprint. As a pastor, Marcus was a trailblazer. We saw that first in his passion for the poor, for those on the edges, and in his deep commitment to peace and justice and service in the city. We saw it, too, in his reaching out to young adults he was willing to walk with us in our journey from a received faith to an owned faith, even when it took us to risky places. I was one of those who experienced Marcus as a trailblazer when he nurtured my gifts as a young adult leader. In a congregation that had no women elders and certainly would not have called a woman to pastoral leadership, Marcus invited me to work alongside him in the congregation and in the area conference. 
He generously shared leadership with me, mentoring and encouraging me. In those years, we learned what would always be true in our collaboration. I was the organized one. He was the, <laughs> he was the spontaneous one who could read the moment and draw people into deep engagement. And I am grateful for all that I learned from him. But perhaps Marcus's most significant trailblazing role was in spiritual formation and spiritual direction. Quite independent of each other, both of us experienced a dark night of the soul in the 70s. And in our hunger and thirst, we sought out the resources of the contemplative spiritual tradition. Silence, centering prayer, scripture meditation, spiritual direction. In an intersection that we could never have foreseen, we both ended up at Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary in Elkhart, Indiana. He is a professor, and I as a student. Marcus had been invited by then-President Marlon Miller to establish a spiritual formation program there. He left a grieving congregation behind in Portland, but he continued his trailblazing role at AMBS. Today, we need to remember that in the late 70s, almost no Protestant seminaries taught spirituality. Most Mennonites had never heard of spiritual formation or spiritual direction, and what's more, they were suspicious of it or thought they were. And even the AMBS faculty had trouble supporting this initiative. But Marcus persisted. Eventually, he hired me to teach alongside him. He had this conviction that spirituality should be taught collaboratively by men and women. And our joint teaching continued even after he retired and moved back to the Amish farm, where, of course, he just kept on teaching and mentoring other young leaders. Marcus was a beloved pastor, professor, counselor, spiritual director, and friend. So many seeking folk found their way to him. At the seminary, we always said we send our hard cases to him. <laughs> but his most significant contribution, in my opinion, was establishing a firm and a Baptist theological foundation for spirituality in the contemporary Mennonite Church. I remember many vigorous theological conversations with him, especially as we drove across the country to train spiritual directors in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Ontario and Kansas and elsewhere. Marcus would be driving fast. <laughs> And I would be furiously taking notes about the important ideas we were grappling with. And the next day, we would be testing those ideas with pastors in the classroom. It was a great ride. 
Marcus was a beloved saint of God. He was also a flawed and wounded human being, and he would be the first to acknowledge that. But he was willing to be vulnerable in his humanity before God and with us, opening himself to ongoing transformation. And for that, we love him and honor him today. Finally, a word of blessing, especially for Dottie and Greg and Deb and your families. May you know that absence is alive with hidden presence, that nothing is ever lost or forgotten. May you be generous in your embrace of loss. And may you be held in love by the God Marcus served, the God in whom dawn and twilight are one. Amen. 495, O oh, let all who thirst, would you stand with me, please?
Our next two remembrances will be shared by Marcus's seminary colleague, David Augsburger, and by Don Rankhauer. And Don will be representing one of the hundreds of folks that Marcus mentored and guided spiritually over the years. Oh, Dottie, what incredible good taste that you picked such a marvelous man. <laughs> what a loss. And though absent, he will always be present with us. In the 1980s at the Associated Mennonite Seminary, as the dean then, Ross Bender, was fond of saying, a large number of the students arrived on campus with their umbilical cords in hand looking for some place to plug in. <laughs> and a lot of them, within weeks, found their way to Marcus's office because he had a universal plug that connected with virtually any and all. But he had something else. He had a spiritual surgical scissors that he held out to them and said, when you're ready. He had a skill to help people grow. He had a gift to pray them toward maturity. And he had the natural gifts, the training, and the compassionate capacity, and a community of people who loved him and supported him to be an amazing presence on campus. Now, not only students found their way to his office, but I wrote down faculty members who had no navels, or thought they had no navels. <laughs> saw themselves as unique creations of God, soon found themselves in his office too, sorting out their lives. And the president made regular trips four doors down the hall to Marcus's office, because after all, he was accustomed to that. Marcus had been chair of the board of trustees uh, for AMBS for a long time before he came to be a faculty member. So his advice was absolutely needed. And individuals came there to find healing. Couples came to try and regain relationship. Parties in conflict came to seek vindication to prove which one was right and instead left finding reconciliation. Pastors came who had lost heart and were exhausted and burnt out. Missionaries who had lost hope. Exhausted teachers, doctors, lawyers, artists, I recall, looking for career change, hearing a call, hungering for a new spirituality, they came and walked into his office. Church leaders, congregational factions and faction leaders, troubled members came to get help with churches that were falling apart. Local communal groups asked for help. Family businesses came to him. There were partnerships that were in difficulty. Somehow they found that Marcus listened them back toward understanding and back toward communication with all each other. In the midst of all this, 
he still found time to teach. Not courses, not subjects, not syllabi. He taught students. Uh, Mark had this capacity to reach to students one by one, and each one felt important, felt that each was the center. When he was with them, they felt that nothing else in the world mattered for that moment except that here was someone that understood them, understood them from within. And when they were with him, they felt that nothing else was important to him, but in that moment, he cared about them. I thought of that again last night when uh, Melvin said to me, I grew up thinking that I was the only one that had this special relationship with Marcus, that, <laughs> that, that he really cared specially about me. Well, he did, but he absolutely was able to replicate that again and again and again because he loved people. In fact, there are a lot of people for whom Marcus was not only the face of Jesus, for some of them, he was the only Christ they ever knew. And for that, dear God, we give you thanks for who you were in this man who we loved and knew. Now, Mark, I remember, was shaped so much when he studied at Union Richmond in the Union Theological Seminary Richmond by Bill Oglesby, who taught this capacity to just be there. Bill used to say, all of my psychotherapy is basically an issue of love. Mark embodied that. He was, he was uh, better at it in many ways than his teacher. Um, the Oregon Gestalt training that he had taught him to be feisty and brought out the reality confrontation side of Mark, which you said he always had, but wow, after all of that, he could, uh, he could say, no, no, wait, no. Oh, let's just take a look at this one more time from the other side and, and, and do some amazing things. When he went to Chicago, he started putting it all together when he was doing his doctoral work. I recall he said that the first day in class with the great ethicist James Gustafson, they went around the circle introducing themselves. And when Mark said who he was, Gustafson's response was pity. <laughs> he said, you're an Anabaptist, that means you'll never, ever understand human inability. Mark would tell me about that. He would say, I probably still don't. I still think people are responsible and that they can respond in a new way. I don't give up on them. He didn't give up. He would hang in there longer than others would care to hang in when there were persons and situations that looked, you know, intractable, uh, hopeless. He would still be there. When I'm speaking of those faults, I would say, you know, the problem being around Mark as a fellow faculty member and being on the, the team with him and trading classes and working was, he was a listener and he knew too much. I mean, anything that came up, he would say, well, I'm not sure I'm free to talk about that because he was involved in so many lives. He was connected with so many people, and they had confided so much to him that he was kind of like the embodiment of the Spirit of God to, to people, that this was where they could turn. He not only knew too much, he worried too much. I teased him that he had become the Mennonite Church's kidney. <laughs> that he was filtering all the wastes. And... 
It wasn't his kidneys that gave out in the end. I would have worried that they might have. You see, that's not what took him. But when, when I left Elkhart, he said, you can't go. I, I need that second kidney. And I said, no, no, no. There's, there's one kidney's enough for any human being, so you'll be all right. And it's enough for the church, you know. And he cared too much. Marcus was a lover. He really cared deeply about people. And all of these, you see, knowing too much, worrying too much, caring too much, were issues of the heart. Yeah. He was one genuine heart. Yeah, well, none of that would have been possible without Dottie's unfailing love and power. I just remember those wonderful moments when you all were living with me in Claremont on sabbatical, the three of us in a big house, and you and I would be in the kitchen cooking up a storm. The place smelled like garlic and Amish recipes combined. <laughs> and when dinner was about done, Mark would come in all dusty from hiking in the hills behind and say he had either just encountered a rattlesnake or coyotes or deer or a mountain lion once. I mean, and he would sit down at the table and then we would, we would go into one of those long conversations with three of us. Uh, you were such a wonderful sister. He was such a wonderful brother. Um, he was so incredibly proud of Debbie, of Greg. And then, of course, you were just little tiny things when I was with him so much, but of you as grandchildren. Of you, Karen, of you, Elizabeth. What a guy. You know, I remember talking to him in my grief after my brother had died and about the funeral service. And then I said, you know, the best part of the funeral service, my sister came up and gave the benediction and she prayed the words of John Henry Newman. And I quoted him to him and Mark said, Oh, would you send me that? So I went to the computer and sent it to him. And uh, now I want to give it to him again. The prayer that she prayed is a prayer that I pray often, and it fits here. As Newman said, Oh, Lord, support us all the day long till the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. And then in your mercy, may you grant us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at the last. I first met Marcus three years ago. I had known who he was for years as we moved to the same Mennonite circles. But three years ago, I drove the 70 miles from Lansdale to Lancaster to meet him. My goal was to ask him to be my spiritual director. As a pastor, I was looking for a spiritual director who had been a pastor. And I wanted a spiritual director that was wholly committed to the Mennonite church who loved the church from the local congregation to MC USA. And so for the past three years, I drove to Lancaster every four to six weeks to sit at the feet of a very wise man who loved 
God, and who loved the church. The thing about Marcus that I learned to trust most was his honesty. I never needed to try to read between the lines when Marcus talked. He had long ago broken the passive-aggressive way that so many of we Mennonites have used or still use to communicate. But the thing about Marcus's honesty was that even when those truthful words sometimes hurt, they were delivered in a safe place. Marcus held the words of God out to me with open hands, a gift to me, for me to discern whether I was going to accept or reject them. In fact, often he would say, does what I'm saying resonate with you? In other words, is this what you're hearing God say to you? Marcus instilled confidence in me, in my ability to hear God, in my ability to lead as a pastor. He helped me to deepen my love for the church with all its imperfections and its struggles. For the past half year, I've experienced Marcus as a mediator and as a consultant working with New Holland Mennonite Church, where I now pastor. My respect for him grew as I watched him work with different personalities. He had this amazing ability to speak openly and honestly directly into a conflict and yet to keep the respect of everyone involved. He was a man of integrity, quick to admit when he messed up, when he was wrong. In fact, just this past Monday, I received a note from him which read in part, Dawn, I made a major faux pas. In spite of my clumsiness, maybe, just maybe, God is in it somehow. That, of course, is not meant to excuse my mistake. Marcus owned his mistakes, and he expected me and others to do the same. He didn't let us off easy when things were tough. When we pushed recently to come to a conclusion about a difficult subject, he told us, things are not always as simple as our discomfort would want them to be. On that occasion, he pled with us, let us not rush to easy conclusions when having conversations about controversial subjects, but let us honor each person who speaks by listening carefully and asking them to clarify their meaning when speaking about a difficult subject. Let us give up this rush to judgment and listen to one another prayerfully, protecting one another from misunderstanding. As Marcus consulted with me, us at New Holland, he was open with me about his health struggles, and I often prayed a very selfish prayer. Dear God, please don't take him until this process is finished. <laughs> we still had work to do. In fact, I was scheduled to meet with him at 1 o'clock on Wednesday, just hours after he died. We will move forward, stumbling without his guidance, but knowing by faith that the same God who worked through Marcus continues to work through us. For indeed, that is the greatest lesson that Marcus taught me, to be aware of the movement of God among us and to listen to the word that God gives us. Marcus spoke the following at my installation several weeks ago, and they are the wise words of a man who loved God and who loved the church. And they're words not only for our congregation, but words which Marcus held out for all of us across the church. He said, 
On this day of Dawn's installation as your pastor, I appeal to you to join her along with your leaders in prayerful, direct conversation with one another, seeking God's way for your life together. Listen to one another. Speak to one another. Pray for one another. Honor one another in the name of Christ. Amen. I invite you to open your hymnal to number 581. Take thou my hand, O Father. Back in the early 1950s, when Marcus served in Pax, with Pax in Germany, he got to know a refugee named Jacob Dick. Jacob had been separated from his family during the war and did not know if any of his family members survived. And every night when the Pax members got together for devotions, Jacob would ask them to sing this song. Later, Jacob was reunited with some of his family members and they moved together to Canada. But this song was always precious to Marcus for this reason. Would you stand?
as you listen to the to our two scripture readings, you are invited to reflect on how they deeply shared and formed Marcus's spiritual journey while he was with us. The first reading comes from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believeth all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Our second reading comes from the Book of Romans. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen. Let us pray together. Dear God, what a marvelous creator you are that you would create someone like Marcus. We are so deeply grateful. Amen. I first got to know Marcus 34 years ago when I was a senior in high school. But frankly, I paid him absolutely no attention. Because, I mean, when you're in high school, who pays any attention to their friends' parents? 
Marcus was just the father with that rather unusual name, Marcus. And he was the dad who told Greg and Deb to stop driving around with 10 of us crammed into his 1962 Belvedere, Plymouth Belvedere, with push-button transmission. But then in 1998, I started paying Marcus a little more attention when he and Dottie took my mom and my brother on a two-week trip to Alaska. Though my brother was in a wheelchair, Marcus happily cared for Chad's constant physical needs. And for him, Chad was not, his friendship with Chad had nothing to do with charity. This was a real and mutual friendship for Marcus, one filled with lots of laughter and mutual care. One day they went whale watching up in Alaska, and they got on to a 90-foot boat. And after getting my brother set up and strapped his wheelchair in on one side of the boat, Marcus went straight up to the second floor to talk to the captain. And he made sure that every time they passed any schools of whales or dolphins or puffins, that the captain would turn that whole boat around so that those whales were on Chad's side of the boat. Love, you see, is patient. Love is kind. And then when I went to seminary in Elkhart, Marcus became my teacher. And for the very first time, I started noticing him. I had to. <laughs> but it went deeper than that. I started noticing his deep connection with God, a love that for him was intimate and personal and life-transforming. You could just feel it. And by teaching us how to pray and to practice spiritual disciplines, he wanted us to be able to connect with God just as he had connected with God himself. And above all, I noticed Marcus's love for Jesus. For him, this enemy-loving, sinner-embracing, foot-washing, cross-bearing, peacemaking Jesus was God with us. And since this Jesus is who God is, that is incredible news. Wonderful news for Marcus and for our whole world. And Marcus believed that Jesus showed us that our highest calling in life is not to be right, although many of us Christians get that wrong. <laughs> Jesus said our highest calling is to be in love with God and with our neighbor and with our true selves. Love, this Christ-like, costly, demanding love, 
was Marcus's orientation toward our world. And in his classes, I was deeply impacted by his pastor's heart that he brought to everything that he taught. Above all, he taught us students that no gift is of any value, no theological insight, no leadership skill, and certainly no speaking in the tongues of mortals and of angels unless it is exercised with love. And without love, we're all just a bunch of noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. Later, I took my first pastorate at Lombard Mennonite Church. And prior to my arrival, God had used Marcus's considerable mediation skills to bring that dear congregation back from the very brink of a total meltdown. And after I got there, Marcus kindly told me that it had been the toughest mediation that he had ever engaged in. Thanks, Marcus. <laughs> but maybe because of that, he always took a special interest in my ministry there and how things were going. Nine years later at the Columbus Assembly, he pulled me aside during a time when I was going through a time of deep despair as a pastor. and spent a crucial hour with me huddled away in some corner. And God's healing flowed through him and his words in a way that I'll never forget. And since then, I've heard many stories about, and we've heard these stories today, about pastors and friends and siblings and nephews and nieces who had these holy huddles with Marcus as well. Friends, if you had one of these healing conversations with Marcus, I invite you to stand. Thank you. You see, love bears all things. Love hopes all things. This past year, after becoming Marcus and Dottie's pastor here at East Chestnut Street Mennonite <laughs> Church, thank you, I visited Marcus and Dottie first at their homestead in Burden Hand and later at Landis Homes. And what I noticed right away about Marcus is how much he relished being just a regular member of our church. No Mennonite VIP required or treatment required by Marcus. Love, you see, is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, and love certainly never insists on its own way. And it's only after coming to East Chestnut that I've learned many of the surprising details about Marcus that I never knew. 
how his early experience of love or of losing his father and his maternal grandmother carved out in him a compassion that he was able to share with others. How Marcus never went to high school. He went straight from eighth grade to college, and then he got an MDiv, he got another master's, and then he got a PhD. And even at the age of 82 this fall, he represented our church at an anti-racism training. Marcus was committed to growing and learning to the end. But friends, there's really no understanding Marcus's love for God without understanding his love for his family. You see, early in life, he struggled to see himself as loved by God. But his marriage with Dottie opened up new vistas of spiritual insight for him. From her, he experienced a depth of love like he had never experienced before. Receiving her unconditional love, he said, helped him to begin to believe in God's own unconditional love for him. Marcus always did his best to love his two children, Greg and Deb, in this unconditional way. And he often told me what great joy it gave him that they both found marriage partners in Karen and Liz, that they could also now love unconditionally themselves. But if I ever wanted to ask Marcus or get him, his eyes to really light up, all I had to do was ask him about Olivia and Julian. The depth of his devotion he felt for them was a transformational experience for him. Even as I enjoy and love them unconditionally, he said, so God also loves me. Wow, that much. His love for Olivia and Julian helped him to more fully experience God's own love for him, its breadth and width and height and depth. And the awesome reality that nothing, nothing could ever separate him from God's love. Marcus came to see his later years with its steady diminishments as his school of love, as his preparation for his inevitable transition to the next world. He said it was recognizing that I live and move and have my being in God. 
He told a reporter, our culture sees aging as a wasteland. But that's not true. There are still many crucial tasks to be accomplished. And among them, he said, is facing our mortality, lamenting our losses, and letting go of his many responsibilities, even as the Mennonite world continued to come knocking on his door and kept on asking him for more and more help. Last Sunday, after a very rough week, Marcus stayed home from church. You see, walking even a short distance now was causing significant pain in his chest and breathlessness. And it was during that time alone, that just this last Sunday morning, that he told his dear friends Glenn and Annabelle Roth that he experienced a powerful sense that Jesus was with him. And a renewed assurance of God's love. Isn't God good? And this mystical assurance sustained him for his next two difficult days, the last of his life. And how fitting that Marcus died with 20 of his family members standing at his bedside and singing him on into eternal life with God, with the God who is love. Marcus spent his whole life looking in a mirror dimly. But now he is finally seen face to face. For 82 years, he only knew in part. But now he is knowing fully, even as he's been fully known by God all along. Now, friends, faith, hope, and love, these three abide, and the greatest of these is love. And that love, God's love, never ends. Amen. Number 616, Children of the Heavenly Father. Let's have the women's voices on verse 1. And the men on verse 2, and let's all join in the last two verses. Would you stand with me, please?
Glenn Roth, Marcus's dear and longtime friend, will now give the closing prayer and the grace for our meal downstairs. Let us pray. God of mercy, grace, and love, we have gathered to remember our beloved friend and brother in Christ, Marcus G. Smucker. Leaving behind the pain of his earthly body in tranquility and peace, you have taken him into your very loving embrace. We are grateful that he is counted among the cloud of witnesses who have gone before to encourage and guide us today and in the days to come. We are thankful for the fond memories we have of Marcus. We greatly value the gifts he has brought to so many people for so many years as friend and counselor, as pastor and teacher. We offer heartfelt thanks for his devotion and for his loyalty. In the mystery of your grace, may these qualities live on among us for the glory of Christ and for the betterment of humankind. Gracious God, be of special comfort to Dottie, Deb, and Greg, and to the rest of the family. May your grace sustain them. May the memories of Marcus's life be a source of encouragement as they continue to grieve over their loss. Now, as we part, soon to be nourished by the food of which we will partake, we offer our heartfelt thanks. May our fellowship around the tables be a source of encouragement to one another. I pray in the name of Jesus, the one who has conquered death and is risen to life eternal. Amen. On behalf of the Smoker family, we invite you now to join us downstairs for a luncheon and for more stories about the life of Marcus. Please wait for ushers to dismiss you by rows, and after you enter the back lobby, you can go down the stairs and then follow the line to the fellowship hall. There's also an elevator through this door if you should need one. I invite you to rise for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord's presence embrace you and give you peace, both now and for all of eternity. Amen. Go in peace.